Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Joining me for a repeat visit is Derek Flansreich. Last time he was on here, he was running a, a content site. It was called Greatest, and it was all about health and... I never believed in the content space, but the guy was not just pulling it off. He became like a guru to my friends who are in the content space. He built it up, he sold it, and I kind of lost track of him. Even though you were accessible because you were doing some advice, consulting, investing after that, right? Very accessible, yeah. You have, Very accessible. Yeah, no really good excuses. No, it's on me. And then I moved to Austin and at one of the first events that I went to, a friend's dinner, he and I reconnected. I said, what are you up to? He goes, I'm launching this new credit card. It's a big swing. It's called Ness. It's going to give people all kinds of benefits, if health benefits specifically, if they have it. And then he said, I got to go. I'm now a dad. So he took off and we never got to talk about it. And today we're going to. I want to find out about what happened at Greatest, how big or small or what happened with that exit. And then I want to find out what's going on at Ness. Why is this such a big swing that he's spending the rest of his or the next the next uh, few years of his life on it? We could do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're looking to hire developers, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. And the second, if you're curious about how these new decentralized autonomous organizations are going, I do interviews with people who run them. Go check them out at joinorigami.com slash podcast. I'll talk about those later. Derek, I got Chase cards. Like, I literally have, I think, more credit cards than I can keep up with from Chase. What do I need another credit card for? Why are you jumping into this space? Yeah. Good, great question. So... I could sell you the card or I could sell you the bigger vision of the business that we're building. I'd love to sell you on both. Uh, but let's start, let's with, start the with the card. Let's start with the card. Yeah. So so our first product uh, we announced in uh, public beta uh, a month ago. Um, and it's been about a year and a half of building uh, a completely new consumer credit card company uh, with the focus being health first, not travel first. Uh, Chase, uh, most of Chase cards are focused almost entirely on travel. Uh, maybe you get some cash back, but fundamentally, like the value to most of the premium sort of Chase cards is you earn points when you spend and you use those points in a travel marketplace to get travel. We believe health and wellness is now the primary lifestyle identity in this in this country. We think a younger sort of generation of people now care more about health and wellness than they do travel. That's not to say they don't like travel. It's to say that health and wellness defines their lifestyle more. They're engaging more often and spending more on health and wellness in their lives. And if that's true, uh, which we believe, why does the lifestyle primary credit card you use have to reward you with travel points? What if it actually rewarded you many times over with uh, for doing healthy things with more healthy things? So that's sort of the like fundamental kernel of um, the uh, sort of pitch around this card, which is what if like your credit cards rewarded you for like doing healthy things with more healthy things? Uh, and like our first what? card- what's a, what's a healthy thing that I would do that I'd get rewarded for? Yeah, so this first card uh, costs three hundred and fifty dollars, um, three forty nine a year. So that's a pre pretty premium card. I mean, the top mm -hmm. sort of ten, fifteen most expensive cards. Um, it comes with a two hundred dollar healthy spend credit. Now, what qualifies as healthy spend? And our definition is very broad. That the obvious stuff apply, like healthy food at Sweet Green, uh, your gym membership. That stuff is kind of obvious, but uh, we consider healthy merchants. Groceries, pharmacies, uh, salons and spas, massages, um, any kind of mental health or therapy, uh, any health care or health insurance costs. So uh, I, I buy that on the card up to $200. I get back, right? Yeah. So you immediately so get back up to $200. And then. So essentially, if I'm paying $350, I'm going to spend $200 on health stuff. I'm now totally. at $150. Okay? okay. Then what happens with the other $150? How yeah. do I make that back? So we have. Um, like I think over 10 plus benefit partners. The uh, biggest one that we announced again about a month ago is Sweet Green. Uh, if you go to Sweet Green regularly, every fifth or tenth salad 
is effectively free. Uh, we give $15 back for every $75 you've spent, and most salads are like loosely $15. So um, basically, you could earn up to $360 on that, probably $180. Let's say you go five times a month to Sweet Green, which most of our target customers do. Um, so that alone covers that fee. And that's before we talk about our other benefit partners like Higher Dose, like Seed, like Parsley, um, like Exhale Spa. Um, a company called Find Your Trainer, uh, which uh, each of these are somewhere between $100 to $300 back um, on using those services. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of other partners too, percentages back and other benefits to health and wellness brands most people are already like engaging with and using. Um, yeah, I see Magic Spoon, for example. That's Magic the Spoon. protein cereal. I, yeah. I get $96 credit there. But why do I need to pay $350 to get that? Aren't those usually as these clubs where essentially if like you don't have to pay for that right it's not coming out of ness's wallet it's it's basically you're saying we have all these healthy people we want to send them to you if we send them to you would you give them a discount these companies say sure just keep promoting us to them if you're doing that it's essentially free to you why am i still paying you 350 for that I mean, it's an interesting uh, way of seeing it. Uh, I would see it instead as we are partnering with these, um, you know, we are, we are basically creating benefits uh, that offer something you don't really see elsewhere. Um, you're not regularly getting $100 off seed um, every single year, you know, towards a membership. Um, you're not regularly getting $100 on a higher dose purchase. Um, so these are pretty, pretty unique exclusive benefits. Um, and the real, like, value beyond making back your annual fee, right, is in the everyday spend. Um, and so I want to like emphasize that the 5x back we give on healthy merchant spend is effectively like 5% back on every single one of those categories that I mentioned earlier. Wait, do I get 5, five x back in cash or points that I can use to buy more healthy things? Yep, so you get points. So the same way like Chase or Amex give you points yep. and you can use on travel. We work the same, except you're getting points you can use towards healthy things. And those healthy okay. things, we have a marketplace of about 50 or so rewards partners, um, which include, again, most of the brands that people who are passionate about health and wellness are using. Um, so sweet green, kava, chipotle, even, um, you know, solid uh -huh. core class pass, um, Warby Parker, spa finder and massage, you know, partners. And we even have Strava. the same like, yeah, we have like aspirational also like, uh, things like a Pranuvo full body MRI scan, a three day, you know, Canyon ranch retreat. So the idea here is the same way you think about your, um, travel card, I'm earning all these points and I'm going to use all these points towards eventually some kind of trip. I usually, you want, hope it's for some amazing magical trip and you end up usually using it on a trip to like, you know. Fremont or something and don't no offense to Fremont um but like it doesn't the points never seem to add up uh and there's quite a lot of and growing sense of dissatisfaction and frustration with the value of those points here you can use the points and if you spend on this card I mean if you're putting on the card a few thousands of dollars of spent every single month um you are almost certainly going to be able to earn a free bowl at Chipotle or salad uh twice a month or three times a month you're going to earn a massage every month. Like, I mean, the, the value racks up pretty meaningfully. And again, in a way that can drive towards kind of like more regular, um, more investing in yourself versus like waiting and sitting on points and never quite turn out to be uh, what you'd hope they would be. I have had that um, big parts of my life where I would earn all these points uh, for travel and they would expire before I ever had oh, a yeah. chance to use them. That's true. Sometimes because I just expire. forget about them. Okay. And we All want right. people to I use get... our points, actually, you know, um, because we are not trying to, we want people to get the value, um, part of the nature of health and wellness, you sort of alluded to it, but the reality is health and wellness does have higher margins than travel or dining. But because of that, we can both build a better business and also drive a ton more value to consumers. Um, and so, so what, you, hmm. I, I want to understand how this works. So I've had friends who've started neobanks. And I used to think if they were starting a neobank, they were essentially starting a bank. I didn't realize there was a neo behind it. And essentially, they were using the APIs of a bank. And it's it's more complicated than that. But yeah. they don't need the infrastructure. Somebody else has it. They create the front end for it. Is it the same thing in the credit card world? It can for be. For you? It can be. Um, 
that is a tricky and dangerous uh, route to take, like many neobanks have found, to basically depend fully on uh, an existing sort of software, you know, platform. Um, we are kind of on the spectrum of having done everything from scratch ourselves to having done very little ourselves. We're probably somewhere like in the middle. Um, we own uh, enough of this that we, from end to end, control the customer experience, capture dramatic economic upside, share in the risk uh, and in the underwriting. Um, we are, you know, ultimately playing an immense uh, a role that is like took us a year and a half to even get close to, you know, kind of owning. Um, and uh, we made all those decisions because the vision is to build a credit card company, right? Not just have a credit card. If you're a company that wants to add a credit card, there are some solutions out there. But if what you're trying to right. build ultimately is like a completely new, um, a completely new system around the credit card experience that people understand, that is why we built what we built. Um, nobody has built a rewards program tied to health and wellness centered on a credit card like we have. No one has built a fully owned like marketplace of direct relationships with you know 50, 60 plus brands. Um, and we think that will uh, be kind of our basically like our path to eventually building um, the company that competes with Amex, Chase, and Capital One and all those you know credit card companies that most people are familiar with. And that's like, the we want to kick some of their ass. Right. And we think that because people care about health and wellness more than travel, this is our window of opportunity. The market itself is, uh, we think, stronger and growing. Uh, and the really big vision that, you know, you alluded to is actually to use that relationship with consumers to eventually play a role, not just in their everyday sort of spending lives, but actually to play a role in their health and healthcare. And so the vision of this business, if you take a big step back, really began with how do you build a long-term enough relationship with people um, that you could actually align incentives in healthcare so that health insurance actually pays for and reimburses people for eating well, working out, and taking vitamin D. Like the vision for the business actually is to build a world where everyone can afford to be healthy because uh, I was frustrated after my last company at how no matter... And no matter how friendly you make health and wellness, the reality is it's just so expensive for most people. And so the vision for the business is to build basically the next great consumer credit card company. And that credit card company doesn't just stop at sort of your everyday spend, but it helps you manage your HSA, FSA. Uh, it helps you pay your healthcare bills. Um, it helps you maybe manage your existing health plans. It helps you take advantage of those health plan benefits. It helps you maybe sell health plans if you have a choice in the future. And eventually, maybe actually we're the ones with the health insurance plan, one that actually pays for a lot of the health and wellness things that you really need. And because you're staying with us long term, we can actually like justify reimbursing for that. And so that's the so kind you're of saying, really wait, it's, big you vision. You start out with a credit card company, then you take on more and more of my health needs, and you might start off with recommending uh, Cigna or another insurance company, sure. but eventually maybe you become the insurer, and if you see that I am spending on healthy products, that I am doing the right thing, then you could give me a reduction in, uh, in, in health insurance costs. Yeah, or even, even more simply, if I know you're going to be with me for longer than three to four years, which is the average time people spend on health plans, because most people get health plans from their employers and in the US unlike any other country, basically. And most people switch jobs quick and go to a competitor health plan. And so today, if I'm a health insurance company, investing in your long term health makes no sense, because by the time any of it makes a difference, you're probably going to join a competitor business, I'm literally disincentivized in actually like paying for your gym membership even if I'm well-intentioned about it, right? And so that's why so much of health insurance is actually focused on acute, very intense care that needs to be handled immediately or else the costs are going to accelerate and very little on preventative care. And I think that's a big mistake. I think that's the, you know, there's a lot broken in healthcare. I think it's like the most fundamental flaw is basically that we all agree that health and wellness and invest, investing in prevention is the best thing for this country. However, who's paying for it? And the answer is the most obvious partner in that health insurance is just not incentivized to do that. And so this business started because we were trying to find some way to actually build a health first long-term relationship with people. And, uh, and there so are a lot it, so of things if that you do stick health, with for a long time. If you do health insurance, then the customer is going to have to pay you directly for health insurance, even though it might be offered at their work, they would pick health insurance through Ness. And that's what you're thinking. 
yeah, but maybe maybe we're plugged into their their employer too, right? So maybe we're the actually the ones in the sitting in the middle of this. Um, there are a lot of people in this country actually who pick uh, where they get their health insurance. Uh, that part is growing meaningfully as more people you know do freelance work and and um, kind of run their own businesses. So there's actually a, an awful lot of people who choose their own health insurance on the open exchange. Um, there's also a growing number of employers that offer what's called the ICRA and QSERA. So this is like basically giving people an amount of money that they can use towards picking a health plan. Those are both areas that actually we could pretty easily kind of slot it and say, hey, we'll help you choose a better health plan, right? Um, long term, we think that's a better way to choose health plans. Why'd and you, and maybe why'd we'll you start with the credit card? Hmm? Why'd you start with a credit card? Other than? Um, I don't know, reselling insurance or offering yeah. a membership into uh, some kind of, I don't know, points-based program or discount-based yeah. system or online training. Yeah. The short answer is healthcare has, people have been trying to disrupt healthcare for a very long time. And they have tried those two things that you mentioned, right? They've tried a sort of more interesting way of selling health plans They've tried uh, to create wellness programs. Um, and ultimately, has healthcare improved? No, it has not, right? Uh, and so the belief here is that what's missing is like this consumer-first experience and to kind of own, capture, and build trust in a relationship with consumers over a long period of time. If you could do that in healthcare, that is tremendously, unbelievably valuable. Because again, like the long-term incentives are aligned. And so I'm a consumer guy, right? My last company um, was, you know, this large health and wellness media company. Um, the focus was on reaching a lot of consumers and engaging them and driving them to take healthy actions. Doesn't that sound consistent? Um, and, uh, but the idea here is like, own the consumer and use that actually as the way to transform healthcare because no one has okay. really been able to successfully do this. And by the way, I think the people that are, I think the companies that are really going to be able to transform healthcare look more like Apple, you know, than they look like Aetna, you know, like so, Aetna bought CVS to basically have a consumer presence, you know. Um, and so these are the, so we're kind of taking a different unique place, but it's because I believe it's the only way to really disrupt that space. You said that you wanted to own the whole experience, and I was wondering if you were more like a neobank. You said you're doing more. I'm trying to understand how much you do, because if when you started Greatest, I could see you just launch a blog uh, platform, probably WordPress, start writing yourself, hire other writers, and build it up. When you're yeah. trying to create a credit card, what do you do? I see you've got a relationship with Bank of Missouri. Do you go to Bank yeah. of Missouri and say, how do we partner up with you? You have a plan. They have a plan to work with you. You just create the software. They do the back end. Is that what it what it is? Well, um, how long you got? No. Uh, yeah. So basically, there's a bunch of like key parts to building a credit card. I knew nothing about fintech when I started to, uh, when I frankly just got excited about this idea of using kind of credit cards as like a form factor, you know, in a business sense. Um, and the more I learned, the more I realized how hard it was, but the more excited I got about the both potential to build a like the, the next great credit card company, but also about the, uh, the form factor itself, about the ability to like, be a partner to someone's wallet. Um, to build a credit card, to answer your question, you have to string together quite a lot of different partners. For one, offering credit in this country is heavily regulated, as it should be, right? Of course, like how I'm glad, you know, like uh, boy, am I glad that it's like heavily regulated. And to do that, that means you have to work with sort of established partners. Um, the Bank of Missouri, to your point, they've been a tremendous partner, uh, are one of the many banks we talk to about potentially working with us. Um, and there's a certain group of banks that work with like kind of earlier stage businesses uh, in the hopes, obviously, that those businesses turn into big partners long term. And it was a, not an easy process to convince any of them to work with a completely, you know, nascent organization that has no members yet. Um, we also had to convince MasterCard or Visa, um, you know, a network uh, that our card runs on. We chose MasterCard. They've been tremendous partners as well. Um, you also have to uh, choose an issuer processor. 
which is like partners with the bank to actually get the cards in people's hands and make it all work. Um, we chose a company called Galileo. There are many of these. Uh, most of them are total trash. Um, and uh, because what we're offering is a consumer credit card uh, and not a debit card, which is relatively actually easy to offer, uh, we also had to use something called a ledger. So um, because like effectively every time you spend money it goes on the ledger and then every time you get a reimbursement or you add a tip on top of it or you make a payment um it like changes right and so believe it or not that's a extraordinary difficult thing when you consider the like bazillion possible complexities of every single person and so that's another kind of key partner and that's before you've created your own like credit and underwriting process. That's before you've created your own application flow. That's before you've added all the credit and fraud compliance like issues. Like one of the biggest oh, issues is I could see is why fraud. people would step away from this. I could, this is yeah. a, it's, it's a big undertaking. And then finally, before we move on from this, why did you decide to be more like American Express than say Chase credit cards where at the end of each billing cycle, people have to pay everything instead of carrying mm -hmm. a balance? Yeah, the charge card. So charge card. Uh, so we're char our first card is a charge card. Uh, to your point, um, a, it is a charge card is a type of credit card where instead of getting to keep a balance and then being like you know penalized basically with a big high interest rate, um, you have to pay it down every single month. Uh, the reason why we went with that is very simple. We thought it's better. <laughs> we think it's better. Uh, better for the customer. Yeah, most people should be paying down their their you know fee every single month, and especially at this sort of because our first target with this premium card is a pretty premium customer. Most of those customers do pay down their balance every month. I will say that in creating this card, um, and what we've learned is that perhaps we were a little hoity-toity about it, uh, and that in reality the ability to revolve actually is a feature for many people. Uh, not because they are bad credit card users, but actually because the credit card does function ultimately as a way to add a new big bill, you know, bill on it and pay it over time. And so we've kind of come around to this idea that actually moving forward as we work on our second card, which we've started working on that will be meaningfully more affordable, um, uh, we'll, we'll likely be doing revolving cards moving forward. Honestly, because we thought we knew what consumers wanted, and it turns out that consumers want sort of what they're familiar with. But I'm surprised uh, but by yes, that. There are I mean, cards like Amex. Um, Amex has cards that are charge cards too. Yeah, I I guess I would have thought the same way you did that the customer that you're going after is not looking for a high interest rate yeah. loan, doesn't even need anything. Just but. I'm constantly surprised by how people deal with credit. All right. Yeah. Let me and, do this. And sorry. Uh, one, uh -huh. one thing that I think you'll find interesting, right, is like what we're doing is very different in terms of its focus, right? Health and wellness. But fundamentally, our credit card is just the same as everyone else's. And actually, the more similar it is to what people are familiar with, uh, the easier it is to convince them that to move their spend over, right? And I find that the charge card has actually made our, how similar we are to all these other cards, kind of more confusing uh, because consumers are just unfamiliar with that concept. Even if once we explain it, they go, oh, that's kind of cool. That makes sense. I was planning on paying it every month anyway. Right. Uh, and uh, so reducing the complexity, you know, again, like the idea here is how do you build a great business? And and we're, I'm constantly learning. I learned so much with my first company. And even here, we're learning every single day, obviously, about everything. And that is one thing that ultimately, in retrospect, I think we kind of got wrong and, and will ultimately probably change. All right. I'm going to tell you because you're an entrepreneur building a business and you need developers. I'm going to say the same things to the audience because they're entrepreneurs building businesses that my first sponsor is Lemon.io. If you need a developer, you go to Lemon.io slash Mixergy. You tell them what you need. You get a match in 48 hours. You okay the match. And then you watch your vision become a reality. They will stand behind their developers because they vet them. They make sure that they're great. And these developers are lower price developers, Derek, than you're used to because they're in parts of the world where they enjoy life, they have their family, but they don't earn as much as somebody, say, in San Francisco where you and I met or in New York where you used to live or even in Austin where you live right now. So anyone who wants to go and hire phenomenal developers from Eastern Europe and Latin America where the cost of living is 40.5% lower than it is in the United States, you'll get great, small, agile teams through Lemon. They stand behind them, and I highly recommend that if you use my URL that you 
that you, I highly recommend you use my URL because then you'll get a discount that's even bigger than everyone else is getting by using their site. So go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. When greatest sold, let's come back to this blog that you created uh, in the health space. Do you remember the day that it sold? What was that like? Yeah, uh, I do. Um, Grace had a hard couple last years. Um, we, for context, um, so we ended up building this enormous health and wellness website. Um, I grew up a really big kid struggling my weight, wanted to build a brand that kind of spoke my language and met me where I was at and talked about health in this sort of healthier way and wasn't just for people who had six-pack abs already and going with Paltrow. And we ended up building that brand, science-backed expert-proved content, written in the voice of a friend that was a little further along. Uh, and that, and we just ended up being wrong about a lot, but we were very right about the quality of the content and the voice and it resonating with people. And we built this audience of, you know, so many people reading our content, I think 15, you know, 15 million or so every month, 2 million people on an email list, we email every single day. And I got the startup experience of a lifetime. I mean, I started the company six months out of college, spent eight years building it. We raised a bunch of venture capital when sort of media companies were very hot. And then everyone in venture capital realized that media companies are not really venture scale typically. And so then we got, it was all a lot less hot and we had to kind of put our heads down and focus on building a good business. And that was an amazing experience too. Um, we had a pretty good outcome. I mean, we got to sell the business at a time when a lot of media companies were selling for Zippo. We got to sell for a meaningful return. All of our investors were happy. And um, I honestly was just glad to kind of like land it in a good place. Um, it wasn't a life-changing outcome for me ultimately, you know, um, but it was a I mean, in many ways, it changed my life, but financially, it wasn't ultimately like this extraordinary outcome, but I was very glad that we could do good for all of our employees, all of our investors, and um, Healthline, which acquired the company, uh, has uh, found a tremendous amount of value and invested very heavily in Greatest, which is really cool to see, and it's still alive and kicking and awesome, uh, which is uh, really fulfilling, frankly, with still very much the same mission that the business started with. So what do you think it was that was so challenging towards the end for you beyond raising money? Was it advertising? Was it too much competition? Well, one, I think advertising is almost certainly the worst business to be in. Unless you mm -hmm. are uh, at such unbelievable scale, like a Google or a Meta uh, or a TikTok, um, if not, you're in the trenches and you're battling with everyone else uh, for the same ad dollars. Ad dollars, which really don't change very much and are usually looking for like the new sexy thing. And we were basically a niche publisher at a time when uh, influencers are starting to rise up. And I'll be honest, we're more connected with their audience. Um, women's health and men's health have never meant less to anyone. But when I was growing up, those were the big health brands. Um, and, uh, today the big health brands are probably Melissa Wood Teppenberg and Kayla Tsinnis. And, um, it is, uh, it is influencers basically that have won the space because they're able mm. to talk to people in such a meaningful way. And because there's so many more options. And so the market that we were fighting in was declining. I mean, clearly, right? I mean, the total ad dollar available for like publishers is going down with one of the probably only exceptions being healthcare and pharma ad dollars, uh, which is what our acquiring company actually was very involved in and, you know, built a very good, strong business in. So we were kind of fighting a declining market. But you know what really was the hardest thing? It was that I no longer believed that we were going to build this like big, impactful business. I'm very proud of the role that Greatest played. I really think it's shaped at a key moment, like the narrative around health for the healthier, um, which is all I wanted to do, right, when I was starting the business. But I'm like a mission purpose driven person. And every single day, just trying to like make sure we had more ad dollars this month than we did the last month was tremendously, though it was an interesting professional challenge, it was a tremendously unfulfilling one for me personally. Um, and uh, I want to build things that change everything. And I realized about two years before we sold Greatest that that was no longer going to happen. Um, and that was very, um, very disappointing. 
And um, again, I'm very proud of the business that we built. I think like I learned a lot in that last two years and we built a really compelling, strong business. Um, one of, one of your investors but... was, one of your investors was Ramit Sethi. He, mm -hmm. I guess you could say is an influencer back before an influencer was a word well, now, in especially. the finance space. Now, yeah, I saw the Netflix show, Netflix and, show and so much. Up. The thing is, he never did ads primarily. He would add affiliate deals if he thought that yeah. there was an opportunity to do it, but he sold product, content, membership. Yeah. I keep doing research to see if Greatest ever tried to do that, um, and I can't see anything. Did you try to, to get away from advertising at one point? Yeah, we sure did. Uh, we never ended up doing courses and programs. Maybe we should have. Um, cause I agree, uh, Ramit has become a very good friend is, uh, I think always been smart about like how to monetize his audience smarter than your average really influencer. Uh, and now he's being rewarded with an amazing TV show. I'm so thrilled for him. Uh, and he's, um, they're actually partnering with him and his team a little bit, uh, at Nest, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, the, we tried a lot of things, but mostly we were focused on very big swings because where our business got trapped um, was it was a venture-backed business. It, was, it raised money like a venture scale business, but we ended up having a business that wasn't, right? So we basically, like, if you were to forget all the venture capital funding, Greatest was a killer business, right? It was, like, very impressive. Profitable, growing, like, everything was clicking. But the expectations for the kind of exit we had were very large, and so instead of doing the smart, reasonable things like selling supplements in an e-commerce store or selling programs or courses, um, what we did was a bunch of really interesting, I think, like swings that were like, you know, we tried to build the next Weight Watchers of the future. We tried to big like the next group gathering platform around diets and fitness programs. There were some really cool ideas. But the reality is the, the, there was like a deep and profound like inertia around like the existing business that we had, which wasn't fundamentally like going to be that scale that will all, always kind of, I think, held us back from those big swings really succeeding. And maybe I should have done a better job at like swinging, um, you know, whether it was burning the boats and going all in. Uh, I joked at one point that we should uh, stop working on the website and just double down on our email newsletter. In retrospect, we probably would have like built a more profitable, you know, better business if we had done that, weirdly. Um, but, you know, at that scale, you're at 50 to 100 full-time people, right? And it is... Um, wow, I didn't know. And it is tough when it's your first company, you badly want it to work, um, you're very proud of the work that it's doing. It, it really was very hard for me to say, look, this has always been a venture-backed business, and we're just going to keep swinging that big swing when I was losing confidence, basically, that the business we had could do that. Um, what happened with the really Weight Watchers, does... Watchers type business? What was that like? And can you take me through what happened with it? Oh, yeah, sure. So the idea was, honestly... A lot of the early days of Greatest was about how we could figure out, build an audience of people and ask them what it is they wanted to spend every month for <laughs> to get healthier. And uh, one of the really interesting and exciting things we started to play with was actually around a diet called, um, a sort of diet called Whole30, really a 30-day program. And um, the idea was matching people together who were doing the same program on the same timeline because not everyone knows people who are doing Whole30 the same at the same time. And so um, that turned into, that was pretty successful. Uh, and we ended up turning that into effectively like a meal app, like a meal planning app plus community. So you would both be able to plan your meals, but also do it with other people who are eating keto or paleo or Whole30 like you. And uh, we were very excited about it, but then we sold the business. I see. How burned out were you at the end of that? So burned out. Yeah. And again, like a big do? part of it was not the work day to day. It was like the purpose work, you know, for me, like I have never been less happy than when I have, don't have sort of the purpose and the meaning behind what I'm doing. Uh, my dad always kind of taught me that like the greatest happiness in life is working your hardest ultimately at like something you believe in. And I think whether that's and I don't know, somehow he brainwashed me into like believing that uh, and I think about that a lot every single day. And when I reflect back on the last five years, you know, I sold Greatest maybe 
three, four years ago. Um, and then spend time advising and consulting and working with a bunch of really cool companies. Um, the lack of purpose for me uh, was very, very, very hard uh, and put me in like a really tough place, I think. And then, you know, COVID and all that stuff didn't help. Um, what do you mean lack of purpose? You were still you were still in the health business. When you say lack of purpose, was it because you were spending so much time looking for revenue and profitability and dealing with funding and not enough on that? Yeah, I think it's because I feel like I have been blessed and privileged with talents and abilities and opportunities and like I need to make the most of them. Um, and I, I don't mean that in like an egotistical way. I mean that more like mm -hmm. I feel like I've been, um, I mean, maybe I mean it a little bit in like an ego driven way, but it's more about like, I think I'm here on this planet for a reason. And if I'm not like mm -hmm. working towards that reason, um, that feels like I'm wasting my time and wasting those talents and, uh, and so even when I'm helping other people drive their amazing visions and their purpose, I've struggled to feel like I am using, um, you know, like basically like leveraging myself in the biggest way. Uh, and again, that's, that's, that's what drives me, right? What drives me is this from very early on, I realized like I'm here to help make health and wellness more accessible to people and democratize access to it. Like I struggled with my health growing up. You know, I ended up, I had this bad injury, ended up with my right arm in a cast for four years, had to like figure out who I wanted to be. And also drank six Dr. Peppers a day. Um, and uh, that like, that kind of like moment, really those moments of isolation, but also of like focus around concentration around like what it was that I wanted to be and what it is I didn't want to be is what like crystallized this kind of mission. And it is no surprise in some ways that with Greatest, it was all about how do you make health and wellness more accessible and friendly. And literally what we're trying to do with Ness is how do you make it more affordable? Uh, and that is what drives me every single day. And I get up every morning profoundly excited despite the trials and tribulations of like being a CEO and like, you know, whatever of the thousands of crazy things that happen every single day. Uh, that's what drives me is because I know that I'm like working towards that path and the potential to make that change for the world, for everyone. Uh, and when that sort of aperture of potential impact starts going down, um, I'm less happy than when it's going up, <laughs> you know? So I've got to ask you a little bit of a personal question about money. Sure. You did a blog post on LinkedIn announcing the sale. And at the end, you said, I'm a free agent now. So if you need any branding, marketing help in the meantime, give me a holler, which made me think, okay, this was not a great exit because <laughs> you must have been burned out at the end of that to also say, yeah. now I will take on everybody else's big marketing issues feels like yeah. a need to provide for your family. And then I look at your LinkedIn and suddenly I see Lake House Ventures, where you're you're an investor. I see Healthy-ish, which is a collection of companies that you've advised. I can see like Peloton, but also some that you invested in. So how do you go from needing to take consulting work to suddenly being an investor? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I would phrase it as I needed to take consulting work. Um, I actually think I just needed to stay busy. I was talking to someone recently, so I think maybe you misinterpreted it, but again, like I'm, I'm like not trying to pretend ever that I like made a ton of money or didn't make a ton of money in my mind. It was very simply like everyone told me that I should spend a year like not doing anything yeah. and I did not know how to do that. And I wanted to keep and stay busy. Um, and frankly, again, I had spent two years doing like pretty unfulfilling work, hard work, and I wanted to work on cool projects. And I did. I did end up working with some amazing companies and doing some like really fun stuff. And I'd like to think helping them pretty meaningfully. Mm -hmm. um, and my wife turned to me, I want to say six months after I sold, um, after I sold Greatest, uh, we, right after I sold Greatest, like left New York, packed up all our bags. And my wife and I went and traveled for like six months. Um, we were actually still traveling or in, we were in India when um, COVID hit uh, and had to like scramble and find our way back. And like all of our stuff was in storage and it was like, crazy, crazy, uh, like crazy times for, and it was for many people, but like six months into after selling the business, Sarah turned to me and she goes, you are busier than you were when you were working at greatest and you're supposed to be taking like a break now. And I just like didn't know how to turn it off, you know, like it's such a good example, like at the end of that saying like, hey, if anyone wants help, let me know. Like 
you're hearing it as like, I need money. I was it like, I need to stay busy, <laughs> you know, like, um, and, uh, and I probably in retrospect should not have, right. I should have just said, Hey, see you in a year, you know? Um, and, uh, it took me about a year and a half basically until I kind of felt like myself again, um, after selling greatest. And I stayed really busy most of that time, um, which, you know, probably got in the way of uh, ultimately me getting over it quicker. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought that at the end of that, that you would have taken on a project like cycling across America or doing a long right. five, I don't know, five month run or something like that. Or Should a boat have. That sounds, that, those all sounded better, but no. I didn't talk to you afterwards, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I think just you like, would have listened to me afterwards. Know. Uh huh. Maybe, maybe, but maybe not. You know, I'm always listening. Um, I think, I think my sense was they don't write a lot of. There isn't a lot of information about what you do after you sell your first business pretty successfully, right? Um, you know, you understand that if you sell your business for a billion dollars, right, that you can do whatever you want. But if you sell your business, have like a pretty good outcome, and like, it's not that you'll never have to work again, but like you're good for a little while. Um, there's not a lot of like, you know, manuals for that. And uh, I've been sort of, you know, like I still have the chip on my shoulder, but I also like know what success looks like. And this sort of like, for me at least, the experience was I just kind of fell into what I was used to doing, which I, is not what I would advise, by the way, to be clear, right? I do think you're probably right. I should have taken on a um, you know, I should have cycled across America. That's pretty cool. I should have, like written a book, you know, like about, yes, you know, a fantasy sci-fi book completely unrelated to anything. Well, even a health book. Here are the things that I I've learned by, I don't know, yeah. but this is going back. Let's go back a little bit further. You said that it was your dad who got you into this mm -hmm. belief that you need to live up to the gifts that you've been given. What did he do? I mean, yeah. for a living, how did he express that? Yeah. Uh, both my parents are amazing people, um, and again, they're a part of why I'm so blessed and lucky. Uh, my dad was a penniless son of immigrants in Brownsville, Brooklyn, like truly like one of six kids, um, you know, like Jewish, um, Polish, Russian immigrant, and um, kind of was, he's just a genius, and he, he has an amazing work ethic. And despite being very entrepreneurial, ended up following a pretty traditional path until later in his life um, and uh, moved into like kind of the business side from the legal side and has ended up being tremendously successful. He's in the pharmaceutical world, um, but he's very entrepreneurial. And basically, like, you know, if he were in my shoes, he would have gotten started earlier on, you know, entrepreneurial ventures. Um, and then my mom also like moved from Russia, um, was a doctor in Russia moved to the United States, learned English and became a doctor in this country at the same time, which is pretty crazy. And she was an immensely hardworking, creative and like persistent, stubborn person. Um, and um, she herself also did like entrepreneurial things and started ventures. And so I think in some ways that was like very baked into me um, growing up. And they were always very supportive, which I know most parents are not. Um, my mom always wondered how I made money at greatest, which was always a very funny conversation because she didn't understand advertising. And in retrospect, maybe she was smarter than I'm giving her credit for around that. <laughs> like maybe she was right ultimately that she doesn't understand why the business is very good. Um, but, mm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for the, for the most part, they were tremendously supportive and I think very proud that they could like create a world where this was something that was possible for me and that I could go and sort of grab it and do it. What type of work ethic, how did it express itself when your dad and your mom had it? Um, I mean, for my dad, I think when I, when I think about my dad, I think about him always working. And uh, I think for sure he's probably on the workaholic spectrum, at least I would say. Uh, I probably am too, uh, though obviously with young kids, that's, um, that's forced me to sort of stay present in like a really welcome way, I would say. Uh, and I've really enjoyed that, but like, I really do enjoy, like I saw my dad, like profoundly enjoy working. Like I know some people complain about work. I got to go do work. 
Um, I've never felt that once. And I think if you like locked me in a room for a week and said, you get to work for a week, I would be like ecstatic. Um, and I know there's a lot of other things to life, but you know, that's like, I'm just like wired in this weird way. And I definitely got that from my dad. Um, I wake up, uh, I used to wake up much earlier now because of the kids, like 6am, I spend, basically my days are like bookended. So I spend the first couple days with the kids watching them and then um, two hours or so before they go to bed. Uh, and then after spending some time connecting with my with my wife, um, usually I'm back to work. Um, I try not wow. to do that every night. But still, I can't. but I enjoy that. That's a choice, right? Most of the I time. get that. Yeah. I just have a hard time after unwinding with my wife going back to work. It's such a change in the way I think. Yeah. How are you doing? Well, I used often? to wake up really early. I mean, like there was a period of my time in New York where I was waking up at like 435 mm. working out. And then like I would be I would have like a full day of work basically done before I showed up at, at the office. And it's impossible to do now because like I, you know, got to take care of the kiddos. Um, but it is. Uh, yeah, it's just funny. That's probably shifted late, but I actually get like good sleep, too, um, because I've learned that health and wellness is important. How are you doing with friendships here in Austin? Did I just lose you? Yeah, I just lost you. What was that? Oh, how are you doing with how are you doing with friendships here in Austin? Good. Actually, like better than I had expected. Um, hmm. We obviously have a limited amount of time, right, to spend um, with work. My wife also works um, and with the with the kiddos. Um, but one of the main reasons we moved to Austin was because we created a sexy romantic spreadsheet and uh, together and ultimately decided that it was both the best place for us to get our like bang for the buck, um, but also had this sort of like nascent uh, founder community. And we knew a couple couples who were in a similar stage to us that we liked. And it turned out that those people had more friends like them. And we've gotten really close actually to a lot of like amazing, uh, like ambitious founders who value family, but who are also trying to build like big and important things. Um, and so there's a lot of like things in common, which is really cool. Cool. All right. The website is it's Ness well, kind of like wellness, but, um, well, can I say one more thing? The... Go ahead. Yeah. So I think you, in the beginning, I feel like you uh, approach some of the like things about what we're building with the Nest Card with some skepticism, and that's allowed. I don't mind it. I like it. Um, and I actually think a lot of people would approach a new card of any kind with skepticism. Most customers do. But suspend that skepticism for a second and imagine if everything you spend on with your credit card, right, you're using your credit card or one of those many credit cards you said that you have, <laughs> Chase credit cards you have, um, basically all day, whether it's shopping online or whether it's offline. Imagine if that was also that like, you know, that trust that you have in this, this tool. Imagine if that was also the way that you interacted with your health and like the health systems. And whenever you made the right decision, whether you spent on something healthy or whether you went for a run or went for, we reward people for sleeping and mindfulness and like going for walks, you know, with a little bit of points. Imagine if everything was like this virtuous cycle, the things that you're doing good, you get rewards for and you're incentivized for. And when things don't go well, you have, you're in the same place and it's helping to guide you to the solution. Imagine if you could have health insurance and have the healthcare space, sort of know who you are better and actually pay for the things that you want and need that are actually good for you. Um, that like idea that the card can be so much more than just like, some points that you can use towards a you know trip to France maybe one day if you're lucky, um, but instead becomes like your health kind of wallet and the the sort of like healthcare is the number one thing that people spend on in this country for the most part outside of like rent and their lodging. Um, that imagine if your card actually helped make that more affordable, helped drive you to better health outcomes. That idea I think it's very very provocative and exciting. And um, here, you know, here's we the part that you, we can convince other people. I like that. I do want to be healthier. I do I do consider what I eat and what I buy and I want more encouragement. One of my concerns is it's it's a lot of figuring out when I could use the card for this and that and managing points and benefits. One of the advantages of doing it for for travel is 
I could just set it and forget it. And it sucks if I lose the miles, but I don't want to be distracted trying to figure out, well, how many miles do I have? How many salads did I have this week? I'm at Chipotle. I just want to buy a Chipotle, not think about, well, how do I use my points at Chipotle? I just want to say, I'm going through my life. And then at some point in the future, when I feel like it, I can go and get something with my benefits. And it might be something I could use, like a flight somewhere where I want to go. Or maybe it's something I can't use, but who cares? I'll have it like an Apple TV nonsense that I've never gotten, but that they offer. But the idea of doing it on a regular basis is is frustrating. I think if I was in a gym and I could keep applying it to the gym, that would that would work. And I see there's certain programs that I can keep applying it to. Like I'm with One Medical, but I think you are with um, there was another plan that that you offer. Parsley, uh, what's yeah. the other? I forget what the other, it's a one medical competitor where I could apply to that. So if it's set it and forget it, I like it. But if I keep having to figure out how do I use my benefits, it becomes a distraction from my life and also a sense of guilt. Why didn't I use it? And now what should I do to be healthier instead of just knowing I handled it one time, it's taken care of. Does that make sense? Well, maybe, maybe I haven't convinced you, but um, maybe I'll convince uh, your listeners instead. Uh, I do think that you're just familiar with this, like the travel paradigm for these cards. Um, and uh, I wonder if there's another paradigm which could drive more effectively like value to you um, that's worth considering. Um, hopefully no, I prefer not meaningfully I... more complicated. That's true. We don't want that. No, I... Um, yeah. No, I prefer it. I'm not... It, I don't need the travel points you'll see i go years and i just don't even touch it so i'm not a maybe it's just because of who i am i'm not someone who who's looking for travel points i do care about my health i guess i'm trying to figure out how to put this into into my life but i get the i get the benefit i see what you're going for i don't mind okay, the, the upfront cost because because it does come back um pretty easily yeah um and I like that it's coming from a tech company because I do find that the whole experience that I have with credit cards, once it's time to go mm. online and pay or deal with even That's finding a, an anything is a pain in the butt. And then I go to the new, the new companies like Mercury and the others and I go, this is heaven. This is yeah, everything I need. It's here because it's coming from a software developer yeah. instead of an old bank. And I know that you've got the same approach here. Well, Ness. we do these every couple of years, it seems, you know, every few years. <laughs> so the next time we do this, you'll be telling me all about all your Nest cards instead of your Chase cards. And uh, oh, yeah. that that I'm sure of. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for being on here. Thanks for being open. Congratulations yeah, on uh, on Greatest and on Ness. It's NessWell.com. Thanks, Andrew. So great to chat with you cool. as always.